Very neat uh, promises here. Look at Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. We, t- we covered verse 5 last week, but the two verses really go together. It says here, <clears throat> let your, <clears throat> excuse me, let your character be free from the love of money, being content with what you have for he, now this is interestingly, he is God, he himself said, I will never desert you. Here's a little evidence for the inspiration of scripture. God is quoted, the scripture is quoted and attributed to God. See that? So this would be an indication that the author of Hebrews and the early Christians believed that scripture wasn't just the words of David or the words of uh, uh, Moses, but it was actually the words of God. So they quote scripture and said, God said. So evidence for the inspiration of scripture. So he, God said this, I will never desert you nor will I ever forsake you. Now, uh, making an application of that, so, therefore, in other words, this is how you uh, prophesy, if you want to use that term. This is how you find out what the Scripture says and bring it into your life. Because God said this, here is a conclusion. So we may say, The Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid, what shall man do unto me? Now that is a valid implication from the Scripture itself. The Scripture says, God says, I'll never leave you. A valid implication, to use the terms that you learned if you took the hermeneutics class, is we don't have to be afraid. That's a that's right. We That's a valid implication. And it's authoritative. We don't have to be afraid. Now, it doesn't mean we never get afraid, but it gives us a tool to overcome our fears. Right? And so an important truth to help all of us overcome our fears is the promise of God that he will never leave us or forsake us. And someone pointed out uh, that it's sort of like the uh, fiery furnace. When the Hebrew children got thrown into the fiery furnace, there was one in there with them like the Son of Man. So he didn't leave them or forsake them. The promise was given to the Israelites when they came out of Egypt that God said, I will be your God and I will be with you. And you will be my people. And so having a covenant relationship with God is like a marriage. And God as the husband, and we're the bride of Christ, it says in the Bible, is going to take care of his bride. And any... A man that would want to be a godly man who got married would do everything he can to take care of his bride and to protect her and to care for her. How much more will God, who is perfectly loving and has all power and all authority, take care of his bride? And so we can have a great confidence that we have someone who's looking after us and will never desert us, and that we can therefore be free from the love of money, because what is money but uh, a sense of security? All right? And uh, I was just talking about this with Jan. I don't want to bring up what's going on, but there's, there's someone who's got more money than they could ever spend, who's older, much older, and he's apparently selling out for more money. And Chan and I were talking about this. It was this mind-boggling. If you were 80 years old and had millions and millions and millions of dollars, would you do something to compromise the gospel so you could get more millions? 
It doesn't make any sense. But but it, but that's what happens is that if you start fighting security and money, you feel like you got to have more, no matter how much you have. I wouldn't know. <laughs> Dad, you wouldn't know what it's like, would you? <laughs> Solomon says a good name is better than great wealth. Well, it isn't I who lives, but Christ who lives within me. The Holy Spirit lives all this wealth. A good name is better than great wealth. Why do we call it great wealth? Why not a good name in Christ? Amen. Okay, so uh, an implication that the Lord will never leave us is this. The Lord is my helper. And uh, this is from Psalm 118. Okay, uh, which is one of the Hallel Psalms. Anybody know what the Hallel Psalms are? Praise? Yeah, that's what it means, praise. And there were particular ones that they sang on a certain occasion. Do you know what that was? When they were, yeah, they were on the, uh, they're called Psalms of Ascent. And the reason they're called Psalms of Ascent was that when they had the pilgrim feast, and there were three, right? Three pilgrim feasts that all the male Israelites, wherever they may be scattered, are to go to Jerusalem for these feasts. Uh, and I believe it's atonement, uh, it's um, Passover, Pentecost, Tabernacles. Passover, Pentecost, Tabernacles. Am I right? Ah, see, I get to be right every once in a while. Thank you <laughs> for confirming that. Okay, so those were the three pilgrim feasts. And Passover culminated on the Day of Atonement. I mean, that's what was a part of that. And when they went, they're called ascent because Jerusalem is high, a higher elevation. Okay, so as the pilgrims come streaming into Israel and then heading to Jerusalem to attend these feasts, they're on their way up, so they're ascending, and they would sing these psalms. I think uh, I've seen different lists, isn't it? Like Psalm one twelve, Psalm one twenty, thereabouts. There, there's there's five or six or seven or eight of them in there. I can't remember the exact list that are called. Psalms of Ascent, or Hallel Psalms as well. And Psalm 118 is a key one, and if we turn to that, you can see how interesting it is that the Holy Spirit inspired Psalm 118, and it became one of these psalms they sing on their way there to Jerusalem because it's so messianic. And uh, at one of these feasts, the one in which Jesus was crucified, this psalm was being literally fulfilled. And, in fact, one of the, I think it was Edersheim's Life and Times of Jesus Messiah, was pointing out that at the Last Supper, one of the traditional psalms that they would sing at the very end of, the, of, a, of a Passover meal, the Last Supper was a Passover, was Psalm 118. So, ironically, as Judas is going out to betray Jesus and they're leaving that, they could very well have been singing Psalm 118, and what were they singing? The stone which the builder rejected has become the head of the corner. Amen. So the prophecy is literally being fulfilled as they sing the psalm. Now, um, that's Psalm 118.22. We're looking here for verse 6. Let's start with verse 5. From my distress I called upon the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me in a large place. Now that fits our, fits our theme here. The Lord will never leave me nor forsake me. And it says, the Lord is for me. I will not fear. What can man do to me? So that was a, a, a psalm that they would sing. The Lord, the Lord is for me. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Let's just read on. The Lord is uh, for me among those who help me. So not only is the Lord for us, 
He put us in a congregation of believers that loves us and cares about us as well. Therefore, I shall look with satisfaction on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. Amen. Now, somebody, I, I read this back when I was in 30 years ago. Somebody said, this is the middle verse of the Bible. Have you heard that too? Bob? Yeah, that, that if you took all the verses that there are, just by verses, divided it in half, this is the one that's in the dead center. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. So that's interesting, isn't it? It's a great truth. Uh, it's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All the nations surrounded me. In the name of the Lord, I will surely cut them off. They surround me. Yes, they surround me. In the name of the Lord, I will cut them off. They surrounded me like bees. So here's the enemies of God. Now let's go to verse 15. The sound of joyful shouting and salvation is in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die but live and tell of the works of the Lord. But he has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness, and I will enter through them, and I will give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous will enter through it. I will give thanks to thee, for thou hast answered me, and thou hast become my salvation. The stone stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. O Lord, do say, this is Hosanna. This is where they got on a triumphal entry. The Hosannas came right out of the psalm, which they would have been singing as they come to Jerusalem. Oh, say, do save. Uh, we be see, see, do send prosperity. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. They used to sing it back and forth. The pilgrims would be coming to Jerusalem. The inhabitants of Jerusalem would come out to meet them. And they'd sing this sort of like a chorus. And they would say, we bless you in the name of the Lord to greet the pilgrims who were coming to Jerusalem for the pilgrim festival. The Lord is God and He has given us light. Bind the festal sacrifice of cords to the horns of the altar. Thou art my God, I will give thanks to Thee. Thou art my God, I will extol Thee. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His loving kindness is everlasting. So there is Psalm 118 and how prophetic it is about Messiah and what God has done for us through Him. So, we may say, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid, what shall man do to me? Yes? I just wanted to mention that um, something that really changed my life when I was reading this psalm one day was thinking about how when the Lord rose from the dead, it says that He's seated at the right hand of God. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking of that when I was reading this psalm one day, and it says, the Lord's right hand has done mighty things. The Lord's right hand is lifted high. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. Really, the Lord's right hand is Jesus Christ. Yes, and I actually, as I was reading that myself, I was thinking about he's not giving me over to death. And, but I believe it's a, that's about the resurrection. Because he was raised and then ascended to the right hand. It's all about Jesus. And then in verse 26, it says, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus used that as a rebuke towards the Pharisees. He said, You shall not see me again until you cry, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Yes, he did. And I think that's a prediction of his second coming and the fact that God's going to save the Jews at the end of the tribulation. And then the second time they will say this. That's what that's about. Absolutely. That's a prophecy because it didn't happen in the first advent. And so, when, I think that's Matthew 23 when he said that, if I'm not mistaken. 
Yes, Matthew 23. And that's a prophecy of the salvation of the Jews at the second advent. Yes. In a way, we're not really honest in six. It says that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. That's easy to say that. But a lot of times when we want to present the gospel, we're more worried about our hurt feelings and what people think of us than present the gospel. Like Paul says, he that knoweth to do good, James says, and does it not. A lot of times we have opportunity, myself included, and we can't boldly say the Lord is our helper. We're not bold. And asking God to help us because we can't present that gospel when our feelings will be hurt. Many times we know our feelings will be hurt. It could be a neighbor, whoever. You're good friends with them. You've never presented the gospel. So you can't really say the Lord, you're bold, that the Lord is my helper because we slip. We've all got to pray for boldness. And many times I fail. I look at that verse and say, no, I'm not bold. A lot of times I'm concerned about my feelings and haven't presented the gospel. You know, you know, Dan, I think it's true for everybody because everybody. remember what Paul Said, now we think of Paul to be very bold, right? Which he was, but but look at his prayer request. Paul prayed. Let's, let me find this here. I'm so used to my computer Bible, I can't find anything in my paper one anymore. But I have the ultimate one now. Oh, do I have something? And I, in fact, I should tell some of you might be interested in this. I got the scholars version, which is rather expensive. This Logos Bible software. Uh, Brian Flynn told me about it. It is the most powerful Bible tool I have ever seen in my entire life. And the only problem is it's going to take me twice as long to get my sermons ready. Because I get clicking in there and it, it, it has, it, I, I was parsing out Greek words and, well, you'll see in my sermon, I probably, hopefully I don't get too carried away with this, but, uh, I hope so. I was going to preach on, I was going to preach on ten verses. I ended up preaching on four after I got done with my logo software. It's just unbelievable, powerful. It integrates all of this, these resources, and you click on a verse, and then you just go. It opens windows, and all the verses that use the Greek word. It, it opens up your commentaries. Did you have to buy that by mail, or is that? Like I got it. I got it. Uh, an email where they had a sale, twenty five percent off. I think just the regular Bible version, the cheapest one, is like two hundred and fifty or three hundred. The one I got was on sale for seven fifty, but it's got it's got stuff. That if you bought the books, it would take three or four rooms to put all the books in. Thousands of volumes, thousands, all on all on my computer. No, my well, uh, CIC bought it for me. I asked the board to help me, and the, part of the reason is we're moving, so I can carry my whole library on my computer, set it up in our new place, and I'm and I won't have any downtime while I try to figure out where all those books went that we boxed up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which I still need to do. Anybody wants to help, I'm open to it. I need help. I am not very organized. No, I'm not. And I've been told I don't get to bring my junk to the new location. These these leaders are so strict. Here is uh, Ephesians 6.19. We were talking about this need for boldness. We all need it. We all need it. We all need it. Every one of us, even the boldest preacher, has moments of the fear of man. God, God has to help us. Ephesians 6.19. And pray, Paul says this, And pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth 
to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. Paul needed prayer that he would have boldness to preach the gospel. And another prayer like that is found in the book of Acts when the disciples were threatened and told they couldn't preach in the name of Jesus. They said, you'd no more preaching after they healed this guy. And the religious leaders were angry and they, they threatened them and said, you can't preach anymore about this in the name of Jesus. And so it caused them to go into a prayer meeting when they came under this persecution. And in Acts chapter 4, here is how they prayed. They quoted scripture, very interesting model prayer as a matter of fact. Uh, Acts 4.24, after they were threatened, that was verse 21, um, they threatened them and told them they couldn't speak in the name of Jesus, verse 18. Here is how they prayed. And when they had heard this, they lifted their voices to God with one accord and said, O Lord, it is Thou who didst make the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, quoting Scripture, who by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of our father David, Thy servant, did say, Why do the Gentiles rage and the peoples devise futile things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His Christ. Unquote. For truly in this city there were gathered together against thy holy servant Jesus, whom thou didst anoint, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever thy hand and purpose predestined to occur. That's the second time this is mentioned in Acts, that everything they did was, was foreordained by God. So, why do they say that? A lot of people don't like his doctrine, but we should ask, before we get mad about the doctrine the Bible teaches, we should ask, why is it there? To show that God is on the throne. And that He isn't just man acting and God figuring out what to do because of what man did. God's purpose was being done in Christ even though He was being rejected by the peoples. So that's why they said that. Okay, To do whatever uh, thy purpose predestined to occur. Now verse 29. Notice what they said. Here's their prayer for themselves. Now Lord, take note of their threats and grant that thy bondservants may speak thy word with all confidence. Same word there that can be translated boldness. So when persecution broke out against the church, they prayed to God for boldness to preach the gospel. And we so badly need this. Um, did any of you, I don't know if any of you ever get this worldview, or Christian worldview thing that I write for? I wrote a thing in there and I am being torched. I have never seen, within one day there's like 50 people just screaming mad at me. One person called me the most vile, despicable. In fact, he says, you are more vile and despicable than that pastor in Kansas who protests at the funerals. That's what, he, that's what this guy said in an email. And dozens and dozens and dozens. And you know what I said? I had I told people that Jesus is the tent of meaning, and the only way to come to God is through the blood atonement, and that Jesus died for our sins, and that Jesus' words are God's authoritative words to us, and the only way we can draw near to God is through Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, so why are so so the yeah, really? Now, now here's I'm going to write a follow-up thing, okay? So I'll tell you, Brian Flint, God bless him, did a, did a really ser- nice service for me. Uh, after after the radio show, we went and had lunch, and I said, Brian, 
get that beast. The whole thing that started this was I was I said that Beth Moore was wrong about the tent of meeting. She said we can have our own tent of meeting and go get words from God. And I said, no, Jesus is the tent of meeting. And all these people want to kill me. They hate me. They, I'm vile. I'm wicked. I'm evil. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. So I'm going to, it just shows you where the church is at. Okay, so here's what we did. Brian Flynn went back and gave up his Saturday afternoon. God bless him. And you are so upset nobody was responding to redefining Christianity. Now you get the response. I know. I know. And now I got a response. They're mad as hops. How dare you tell the gospel to evangelicals? We don't believe in the gospel. So, so here's what happened. Brian Flynn, God bless him, gave up. A, he said, I'm sick of this DVD. I said, you know, if you do this, I'd sure appreciate it. I want you to watch the entire Be Still and Know That I Am God DVD again and take note of every time Jesus is mentioned and take note of every time the gospel is mentioned. And give me a report on exactly what you find out. So he went home and did it. And the report was this. The name of Jesus was mentioned 12 times, but never once did anybody say who he is, what he did, or what was unique about him, or anything. He's just the name of a religious leader, as far as anybody would know, on the Be Still and Know That I'm God DVD. Brian said, the gospel is totally absent. It's not any, there are all these people, Max Lucado, Beth Moore, Richard Foster, all these great people. Not one bothered to tell anybody the gospel. Zero. So I'm gonna write, I'm gonna write a follow-up thing on his worldview thing and say, 50, 60 people torch me because I told you the gospel in support of a DVD that does not tell you the gospel anywhere. You can go to Walmart, and here's a DVD that says, Knowing God on the title of it, and they don't tell you anywhere how you can know God. Zero. Not one thing about how you can come to know God. And so you're angry at me because I told you how you can come to know God, and you're supporting the people that won't tell, and you people think you're evangelical. Why don't you just go away and admit you're liberals, go to the United Church of Christ. I'm fired up. I'm fighting back. Yes. I knew that the first 20 minutes he took... Not one mention of Jesus Christ or the gospel. It was a mention of God, and that's, there's nothing wrong with mentioning God, obviously, but how do we get to God? So, had not you mentioned Jesus Christ, it would have never come up. No, there's no gospel. And, and see, even mentioning Jesus, what we need to realize is that, the, the, that uh, uh, Mormons believe in Jesus. I got a video that, some, uh, you gave it to me, I think, Scott, uh, that came from the Mormons that says how to meet Jesus. Yeah. And they have all the same kind of t- terminology. Islam believes in Jesus, all right? That he's some sort of a prophet. Um, so if you just mention Jesus, you haven't told anybody anything if you don't tell about his atonement. The, the mystery of the gospel, when Paul prayed for boldness to preach the mystery of the gospel, the mystery of the gospel is, concerns the person and work of Jesus who died for sins, who was raised on the third day, who bodily ascended into heaven, who is God the creator, who is coming back as God the judge, and who sits at the right hand of God with all authority and power. And if you don't know who he is, you can't be saved. And you, and you sell a DVD that goes on for two hours or so uh, to people in Walmart saying, be still know that I am God, and you don't even tell one person anything about Jesus Christ. And then if somebody points that out, they're an evil person for noticing it. 
I, I telling you our movement is apostate. What we call evangelicalism is just liberalism, stage or you know, chapter two. We've got nothing. We've got to start over. We got to start from scratch. And we were talking about that on the radio. Yes. 1982, I was in San Diego in the hospital, facing a brain aneurysm surgery, and um, I contacted my best friend's father, who was a retired pastor. Contacted him through my best friend, <laughs> and at the time I was such a pagan, he didn't have any idea why I would want to talk to his father. But I knew I had to get right with God. My friend got on the phone and he called just about every church in San Diego. I had six people come and minister to me. Not one of them mentioned the gospel. Really? Not one of them. So you're there maybe going to die. Exactly. And they don't tell you the gospel. Exactly. My wow. mother's sitting there at the side of the bed saying, just keep your trust in Jesus. Wow. And you're serving the Lord today. Amen. And you're still here. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Okay. So... Uh, if we want to have this be true, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid, what will man do unto me? We need to pray for one another that God would grant us boldness because it just doesn't come by nature. It's very hard to tell people what they don't want to hear. Yes, Paul. I feel like, I know like when you go out on the streets and witness in front of people and they're persecuting us and stuff, I think that, you know, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear what the man do to me. You know, like people... On Friday night, we met these, we were out, met these three like aberrant atheists who just like like they're like oh you're born again they just go off on us you know but it doesn't it doesn't like back me into a wall because I'm not standing on my own authority or anything right but they're me because Christ in me that's what makes them angry yeah by the way there's a number of different groups of people from the church here that go out on the streets witnessing. So if anybody's interested, just well, I'll talk to Paul here. He goes out. Gabe Castro goes out, and and he he um, and then Mark, Arlene, and Patrick, and you have a website, right? Yep. Share your faith. Yep. Shareyourfaith.org. Shareyourfaith.org. Patrick has, and, and he can, you can connect people. Absolutely. Okay, so if you if you're interested in doing street evangelism, talk to Patrick, and he can get you hooked up. Yep. So we're going here and there and everywhere. Interesting. I thought the most interesting story I've heard from all of it was the one about those guys from the Word of Faith. Did you see that thing from Mark Orlean? Where the, where the Mac Hammond people were yeah. leading thousands to Christ? Right. But they, they had no, How many they track? They keep track. They had thousands of them, but all they did was they'd tell people, do you want to go to heaven? Yeah. Okay, say this prayer. Yeah. And they'd say, okay, you're on your way to heaven. And they send them drunk down to their car, you know. And, some variation. Yeah, some variation of that. Okay, yes. I think when we talk about sharing the gospel, and I think and I agree with what everyone said, it's hard to be bold. But when we do trust in the Lord, He gives us that boldness. Mm-hmm. Like you said, we receive that persecution. It in turn gives us more boldness the next time. And it's, it's, it's something through that persecution for our faith that inherently gives us that boldness we face. Yeah. Amen. Yes. I would say just exactly on that. In uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 11, Jesus Christ was the one that said, Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. And I would say we should all be thankful that we have a pastor standing in front of us that is persecuted and reviled. And people are saying all manner of evil against him for the sake of Jesus Christ. And we are blessed. We are the one that makes us more blessed because Jesus Christ said we are blessed. Amen.
Well, well, thank you so much. Well, thank you. I, I, um, I guess the Lord's given me boldness, but on the other hand, I just kind of like to fight. <laughs> I don't know if it's the Lord or me, but I kind of was born with the nature where I, if I think something's right, I won't back down. I, I used to. So, but maybe God does. Well, God gives us. He makes us the way we are, and He calls us out of sin and uses us how He sees fit. Yes. Does the true church, do they want to continue to associate themselves with the name of evangelicals? That's what we were talking about on the radio, that Mueller was saying, I don't know what this term means anymore. I think that we're going to have to disassociate pretty soon. Uh, You know, true Christians, when they hear the gospel, can't help but rejoice. Amen. That's what's so shocking to me because that's a fairly conservative website where these people are torturing me, and you would think they could at least rejoice in the fact that I told them about Jesus. I shared about the Mount of Transfiguration. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Moses said, "I will raise up another prophet at like me, and when he comes, listen to him." So I said, "Jesus is that prophet. He was on the Mount of Transfiguration. A voice from heaven said, "This is my beloved son. Listen to him." And then in Hebrews it said, "He has spoken in the fathers of many." This is all in my article. And then so God has spoken through Jesus. God has spoken through the apostles. Jesus did this great work of atonement. Jesus shed his blood. Jesus sits at the right hand of God and makes intercession for us. And the way we draw near to God is through Jesus Christ alone, and we have access to the throne of grace and that it doesn't matter whether we feel near to God. It only matters whether we draw near to God. You can feel near to God and be lost. That's what I wrote in my article. And for that, I was told I'm more vile than this pastor who says God wants our soldiers dead. I'm more vile than that for saying who Jesus is and what he did. Now, is that what kind of Christian hates the gospel that much? That's what I don't get. Well, you know what they're mad about is because I criticized Beth Moore for getting it wrong, and she's evidently the new evangelical pope. I don't know. <laughs> I was just thinking when they were talking about boldness, um, a verse came to my mind from Nehemiah. I think it's 8.10. It says, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Yes, that's in Nehemiah. And I think boldness comes from having such joy in the Lord that you could care less how you're going to be treated in response to sharing the gospel. You know, and and that the Lord takes care. Perfect love casts out all fear. You know, doesn't that doesn't mean that you don't have a sense of fear, but it's covered by the love of Christ, and your joy is so great in Him. And I think the more you're persecuted for sharing your faith, like you were saying, in other countries where our brothers and sisters are being tortured for sharing their faith, their joy is overflowing. Yeah, I was just reading a story of Stephen when he was martyred, how he forgave the people that were killing him. Yeah, somebody over here. Yeah, oh, Kathy. That book, Mark Cahill wrote a book called The Last, The One Thing You Can't Do in Heaven, and it's you can't witness. But he was just saying, when you witness, you have three results: either you know seeds are planted, or someone gets saved, or you're blessed for being persecuted. And I know I met a girl on the evangelism boot camp. She used to take her five-year-old, and they they would you know to encourage each other when they were persecuted. They 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 make this sign like a cash register, like to ching, just like I'm blessed anyway. <laughs> she didn't. Her son didn't understand. He was five. That they were doing it to each other. And so when this guy, her son, shared the gospel to a storekeeper, and he like was really feels get out of your kid. And so instead of turning to his mom and saying ching, he went to the storekeeper ching. <laughs> <laughs> get out of here, kid! You bother me. <laughs> yes, Paul. Okay, read it loud so we can hear. 
right, behold, I am sending you as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be, be wise as servants and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over into the courts to flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my name's sake, to bear witness before them and over and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you will speak or what you will say, for that for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Absolutely. And you can read it in Acts and see what that looks like, because we have, for example, Paul in Acts 26 in front of Agrippa. He talked about the resurrection. He talked about repentance in front of a king. All right, so that's what it looks like. And God gives us boldness, not because of who we are, but because of who he is and how great that message is. And we have to assume that from from now on, that, that whatever looks like it's called evangelical church. It needs to be the target of gospel preaching. Amen. It, just as much as if you were in a what we used to consider an old line liberal church, uh, the evangelical church needs the gospel just as bad because they're not hearing it. Yes, Kathy. You were mentioning about the Lord being on the throne, and this is something that the Lord gave me in the whole few years back, and that is, you're still on the throne, you know what you're doing. God's on the throne and God knows what he's doing. Yes, yeah, so Roger. You know, part of our confidence should be based on the fact that the word is powerful. I got saved in January of 1972. A couple of years later, I worked at the fairgrounds at that Billy Graham crusade. We had the memory. Yeah, 74, yeah. The gospel presentation. So one morning, I'm having breakfast with my mother. I said to her, you know, it's amazing how... When you quote scripture directly, you come in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I just tip my head back and rattle off that typical, you know, all of sin is one and short of glory, God, the way you sin is death and so on. Yeah. I looked up and there was a prayer. Huh. Said it never came up. Wow. So just the word alone. The word, yeah. The word is quick and powerful, like it says in Hebrews, in Sharpening Two Edges Sword. And I would also further affirm. This is why we should all be students and we should be very, very carefully study the Scripture to know what it means. That the more accurately you know what the Scripture means and the more accurately you proclaim what it really means, the more powerfully the Holy Spirit will work through those words. Because remember what MacArthur said when he was last in town. The meaning of the Scripture is the Scripture. Okay, So anytime you give some meaning that really isn't what it means, the Holy Spirit hasn't inspired that and there's no power. So the more you get it right, the more powerful the Holy Spirit works. And, and that's why a good reason to study really hard when you, before you make a presentation. Now, I was going to quote a little bit from Lane here. We've got a couple of cross-references. He said, Assurance that the Lord is the divine enabler permits the Christian to affirm, I will not be afraid. The confessor expresses his own fearlessness to the honor of God. The central chase Clause, excuse me, corresponds to the confidence affirmed in the introductory words, so we may say with confidence. There's that word again, by the way, confidence. Uh, Parasine, it means boldness also. The expression to be confident, no, it's a different word, therein, to be confident, and phobistai, to not fear, are interchangeable in the New Testament as elsewhere in... Contemporary Jewish literature, the logical shift from the momentary, monetary concerns of verse 
5, to confident dependence on the Lord when threatened in a hostile society is striking. The Christian is to be free both from the love of money and the fear of death. Free from the love of money and the fear of man and the fear of death. What can man do unto me? Don't fear him who can kill the body, but fear him who can destroy the soul in hell. Amen. Isn't that what it says? Yes, it does. Yes, it says that. Okay, um, Dan, Exodus 18 and verse 4. Uh, Dean, Deuteronomy 33.29. Brian, Psalm 33.20. Patrick, Psalm 56.4. I brought his Bible and half the New Testament is missing. <laughs> so give, her, give her an Old Testament. Give her an Old Testament? No, seriously. The new, you got a defective Bible, Casey? The New Testament is missing. It fell out? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Second Peter. That's it? All right, so you got a truncated version here. Well, okay, here, you can... Uh, I don't have any more Old Testaments. Okay. Skip me. I'll skip. No, you have Luke, don't you? Okay, Luke 12, 4, and 5. And you need a new Bible. <laughs> okay, Romans 8, 31. And Hebrews 4, 16. <laughs> Luke uh, 12, 4, and 5. Okay, Exodus 18 and verse 4. And the name of the other was Eliezer for the... For the God of my father, and he was my help, and delivered me from the sword of the Pharaoh. Okay, so God was his help and delivered him from the sword of the Pharaoh. Deuteronomy 33.29 Happy art thou, O Israel, who is like unto thee, O people saved by the Lord, the shield of thy help, <coughs> and who is the reward of thy excellency. And thine enemies shall be found liars unto thee, and thou shalt tread upon their high places. Okay, so it was a promise to Israel that God was their shield and protector. Psalm 33.20 Our inner selves wait earnestly for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. Okay, wait earnestly for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. Psalm 56.4 In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I will not be afraid. What can mortal man do to me? So, okay, that was Psalm 56.4. That's what's cited here partially in... Um, Hebrews are at least saying the same thing. It's repeated in the Bible. Uh, Luke 12, 4 and 5. I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that have no more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear the one who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Wow. That's strong words, isn't it? Don't fear the people. Fear God. Uh, Romans eight thirty one. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? Okay, if God is for us, who is against us? And then there's a long list that we don't have to read, but it's all the different things, heights or depths of principalities of powers, things present, things to come, or any other created thing will separate us from the love of God. So that means we are preserved by the Lord. Hebrews 4.16 let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Come boldly to the throne of grace. And I've been talking about that verse so much lately. It was in my article. Um, I don't know if everybody, if people catch the oxymoron there. Okay? It, it, there's a purposeful oxymoron if you can understand 
the whole Old Testament that leads up to it in the New Testament. Because come boldly to the throne when God's on the throne is something you normally wouldn't want to do. Okay? Because God is an awesome, our God is a consuming fire. God is a judge. You die in God's presence. You don't just go boldly to God's throne. You, you come with fear and trembling. Or you don't go, come at all. Or you, actually, not coming at all was a safe thing in the Old Testament. Unless the high priest went in you know, on the Day of Atonement. So what that purposeful oxymoron is, is it's telling us how great a salvation we have. Amen. That it's now a, not a throne of a consuming fire to destroy us as adversaries. It's now a throne of grace. And as a throne of grace, it's there when we come to it rather than to be judged or to be cast away from His presence or to be destroyed. We come and find help in our time of need. What does it say we find? What, what, do you still have that? Grace and mercy? What does it say? Find grace to help. Find grace to help. So you have a throne of grace where you get enablement for God to help us and to change us. And that's a wonderful, precious privilege. And that's why I've been writing about that and telling people about it. And I don't know why it makes them so mad. It's just, it's just boggles the mind that you'd be mad if somebody told you you could come to the throne of grace. Yeah, we, yeah, we, get, we want to do it our way. Uh, it's just amazing, amazing, amazing um, that there's such a distaste for the things of God. I don't know... We, we can trust God, though. If you look at the history of God's saving people and having a people, go back to Abraham. That's where really where it starts. Okay, when he chose Abraham, said through your seed, all the families. And so he starts executing this plan that he had promised the woman through her seed. So he starts with Abraham. They have Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. You have Israel, then you have the 12 tribes, you have the sojourn in Israel, I mean in Egypt, then you have the Passover, and then you have the wilderness wanderings, and then they come into the land, and then they have a split into the two kingdoms, and then they, the northern kingdom goes into apostasy and is destroyed, then the southern kingdom much later goes into apostasy and is taken off into captivity into Babylon, then he had the promise of 70 years that God would bring them out and he does so, and then you have Nehemiah and Ezra and the, resur- and the restored uh, temple yeah, that really wasn't much, they wept when they saw it because <laughs> there wasn't much there, the old men wept. And then you have this intertestamental period, uh, the Maccabees. And then you come to the centerpiece of this whole story of redemption history. You have Jesus Christ who comes on a scene, born of a virgin, who lives a sinless life and dies and is raised on the third day. And then you have the establishment of the church on the day of Pentecost. And then you start at Pentecost and you come up to today. And we don't know when Jesus is returning. But if you read the history of the church, and you read it in the context of the history of, of Israel before, you always, throughout those histories, had periods of revival and apostasy. Josiah has a revival. Shortly thereafter, there's apostasy. David has a revival. Shortly thereafter, there's apostasy. Nehemiah has a revival. By the time of Malachi, there was apostasy. There was a revival in Acts. By the time Paul writes the epistles, there's apostasy in Galatia. He said, all in Asia have forsaken me. Then you have some revivals in the early church, and then you have a great, grand, glorious, bad apostasy, Roman Catholicism. For centuries. For centuries of darkness. And then there's a revival 
uh, through Luther and Calvin and Zwingli and the others. And then, so you have these periods. And so, in a bigger scheme of things, I guess we're just, we've seen it. Okay? We, we've seen the revival. A lot of us got saved. You, you mentioned when you got saved, Roger, I got saved in July of 71. There were a lot of people being saved in, in the early 70s. And now this movement is going into apostasy. And so in a bigger scheme of things, this could be the very last one, and then Christ is going to return. But there could be a revival too, so we can't give up on the gospel. We have to keep going on fighting the, the good fight and pray to God to raise up a movement to stem the tide of apostasy. That's, that's the prayer, that God would raise up a movement like he did in the 1920s that would stem this tide. And I don't know what it'll look like, and I don't know what it'll be called, but either Jesus, either we're going to have the rapture and the Antichrist coming, or God will raise something up, because he won't leave himself without a witness on the, on the face of the earth. Yes? Right now, it's within us. Yeah. We've got to realize it's already here within you. Okay, so uh, this morning we're, I'm going to be teaching upstairs in First Thessalonians chapter 5.